You are listening to the audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, The Mitch Maloney Story, by Mitch Maloney, read by the author. Chapter 6 Airport Security So you're trying to tell me that the Ross Dress for Less guy broke into your velvet painting museum, wrecked the place, and attacked you with a crowbar? That's right, Chris. I hope you'll forgive me if I find that a little hard to believe. Well, I find it hard to believe that I'm having a drink with one of my heroes. Ah, says Chris, rolling his head around his shoulders weirdly. Well, I'm just glad we had this chance for a little father and son bonding, if you know what I mean. We share a knowing chuckle. You wrote one hell of a pilot episode, Mitch. He gives me a little wink, partly because we're using show business jargon together, but also because the show is about airport security, and he used the word pilot which is a pretty funny joke, I guess. Thanks. Of course I had a little help from Charlie and Jack, I say, generously. Yeah, yeah, Kaufman and Handy are great, but it's that Maloney touch that takes it to the next level. Well, I'm so happy you could come on as Mike Malarkey Sr., Chris, and I want you to know how much all of your work, from the Letterman years forward, has meant to me, but especially your memoirs. And note one. And note two. And note three. Your rigorous commitment to factual recollection is truly inspiring. And without those books, I might not even be here today. You, you read my books? Chris begins weeping openly in a way that it looks like he's faking it. But I can see from where I'm sitting that the tears are real. I tell him to reel it in, for God's sake. We're in public. I figured Jumbo's clown room didn't count as public, says Chris, guiltily. But thanks, Mitch. I'm just honored to be part of such a gifted cast. Stephen Merchant as the nosy neighbor, Gerard Carmichael as the sassy co-worker, not to mention Leslie. I flinch a little bit, just enough that Chris notices. Aren't you excited to work with Leslie, Mitch? Let me tell you a little story about my life before I was Mitch Maloney. Years ago, I was living in Ottawa, Ontario. The city that fun forgot? asks Chris, yanking his head backward in exaggerated horror slash disgust. That's right. For a while there, I was the property master for a cut-rate made-for-TV film crew. You were a propsman? asks Chris, as he pantomimes using an invisible slingshot. That's right. And one day, a slightly less cut-rate film crew came to town looking to do a D-grade ripoff of a David Fincher serial killer movie from a decade earlier. Sounds like somebody has something they want to get off their chest, Chris says, waggling his left eyebrow and then his right one and then his left again and so on. It started off pretty good too, but a few days in it seemed like someone was trying to sabotage me. Why would anybody do that? 
I don't know, Chris, but props went missing, my equipment was damaged and stolen, and then, halfway into the shooting schedule, they canned me, and all I was left with were a bunch of questions. And also this watch. They fired the propsman? But you can't fire a propsman. Everybody knows that. An angry propsman can sink the whole production. And I could have easily have tanked the whole show then and there. In fact, I almost did. But at the last minute, I chose to bow out gracefully instead. Never again, Chris. It was the first and only time in my life I was fired. And I swear I'll never let it happen to me again. Mitch Maloney isn't taking it. But who could have been plotting against you and why? Chris is nodding his head sympathetically while grimacing dumbly. Well, at first, I figured it had to be the art director, a hateful Australian with halitosis like a dumpster diaper. But I also suspected the transport manager, a cancerous French-Canadian scourge of the Ottawa film community named Blive Stoivert, one of the most repulsive and despicable people I've ever known. Dear Lord, his name was Blive? Chris shrugs again, this time lifting his hands as well to really get the point across. I guess it must be a Quebecois thing. Of course, it might have been my assistant, a weaselly little Hungarian egghead that took advantage of my generosity every chance he got, even slept on my couch for a while, and who eventually swindled me out of my prop cart and all of my equipment. Never trust the assistant. Chris is smoldering now, obviously speaking from personal experience. The point is, I felt like everybody was out to get me. Sounds like a typical film set to me, says Chris, shrugging his shoulders in an exaggerated manner. I remember when we were shooting Cabin Boy. I'm not finished, Chris. When I asked the producers why they wanted me out, the closest I got to a straight explanation was that it had something to do with the leading lady, who seemed to have more juice than just about anyone else on set, and who was a real props diva, if you know what I mean, always throwing me curveballs with last-minute requests and modifications. Some performers, says Chris, twisting his face into an incredulous smirk. So let me guess, was this props diva the one playing the part of Mrs. Malarkey? I give him a conspiratorial nod and raise my glass in a mock cheersing gesture. It was the one casting decision beyond my control. The board of directors insisted. So are you going to clear the air with her tomorrow on set? Nah, let the past be the past. And yet here we are, dredging through the muck from so long ago, he arches an eyebrow accusingly. Fair enough, Chris. Maybe we should change the subject. I'm so glad you gave me that opening, Mitch. I was wondering, how do you feel about crypto? Well, gee, I consider the question for a moment. I guess I'm a sucker for a good Bigfoot or Loch Ness monster story as much as anybody else. Not cryptozoology, you fool! He screams angrily and then gets a hold of himself. I'm talking about Dunce Coin, and I am all in. In fact, he makes a big show of looking from side to side as though someone might be listening. I insisted they pay my salary for the show in Dunce Coin. You don't say. I'm starting to wonder if I should be getting paid in Dunce Coin. Did you know that if you go into a Dunce Burger and you pay in Dunce Coin, that there's a drum roll, please? He seems to think that thing about the drum roll is really clever. There's a secret menu. 
you can order a double dunce supreme chili cheeseburger savage style. He's rubbing his belly and licking his lips in unison. I give him a disappointed smirk, and he calms down and takes the conversation back to where it started. So the Ross Dress for Less guy, why in the world would he attack you? My best guess is that he's trying to scare other comics into quitting the business. To weed out the competition? He makes a face that suggests that sounds crazy, but then shifts into more of a, oh, I get it, sort of thing. Who have you told about this? He asks, darting his eyes from side to side. Just Kara, my lady friend. Ah, yes, the little lady. I don't care for his tone. Perchance was Kara there at the Velveteria that night? No, she was getting tacos with her best friends, Esty, Danielle, and Elena. So her and her little gang of female hoodlums weren't present at the time of the attack. Coincidence? Or something more? He tucks in his chin, accusingly. I'm not even going to dignify that with a response, Elliot. And you haven't called the authorities? No, I'm still considering my options. Options like... Vigilante justice, says Chris, bugging out his eyes. Of course not, I say, but in just such a way that he isn't sure if I mean it. These days, everything that comes out of my mouth can be taken at least two ways. The thing is, I don't really have any evidence. Other than the voice, I mean. Chris tilts his head understandingly. Mitch, let me ask you a question. Go ahead, Chris. Are you still taking those pain pills? I just finished off the prescription yesterday, so according to Dr. Jong, it's almost out of my system, and I should be good and sober for the first day of shooting tomorrow. I'm glad to hear that, says Chris, pursing his lips to suggest superiority. I'm not comfortable working with drug addicts. Here's to sobriety. He raises his shot of root beer schnapps, and I come in for the clink with my snifter of Charlie Six. To sobriety, I repeat. Chris suddenly gets very excited when he hears the DJ begin his intro for the next act. Someone named Amethyst. And by the looks of her golden bikini underwear, she's no clown. What's the deal, Chris? I thought you invited me here for a little conversation and a good old-fashioned clown show. Not to watch some exploited trollop expose herself so you can get your jollies. I didn't know that my hero, Chris Elliott, was... Sleazy. Well, I had no idea you were such a square, Maloney. Look at it this way. I just did you a big favor. How do you figure, I ask? Well, now your story has a scene at a strip club, which means it's twice as likely to make some big-time producer want to turn it into a biopic. That's a pretty good point, I admit. We order another round. next morning, my right hand is shaking uncontrollably. The makeup lady asks me if I'm okay. You mean because of this? I ask, holding up the flapping extremity. I guess I must have a case of the first day jitters. There's a knock at the door. It's some nondescript mid-level executive from HBO. In they walk with George Lopez, of all people. Hey, George. So great to meet you. I love your work. 
I know I'm expected to say these sorts of things, even if I don't mean it. What brings you to the set? The mid-level executive says there's been a change of plans, and George is now playing the part of Chili Midtown. Lopez just looks from my face to the executives with an empty smile. What happened to Gerard? I ask. The shaking is getting worse, and now my forehead is sweating. Are you feeling all right, Mr. Maloney? asks the executive. Just jitters, I reassure them. Apparently, Mr. Carmichael had a last-minute scheduling issue, but as luck would have it, George here just happened to be on the lot, and he's available, so... Lopez just shrugs and keeps smiling. But George can't be Chili Midtown. Nothing personal, George. It's just that the character of Chili is written a little more... Blah. The executive's face freezes up and pulls back at the corners, in that way that means you better stop talking right away. I try again. It's just that the Chili character in the script is much young. The executive does the face again, but this time even more so. Maybe you should wait outside, Mr. Lopez, they say. Mr. Maloney, HBO has a very strict policy about discrimination based on race, age, gender, sexual preference, personal identity, political affiliation, dietary restrictions, or hygiene. That explains a lot, I say, implying that the executive is stinky, even though they're really just nondescript. Besides, they continue, we've already replaced Mr. Carmichael with Mr. Lopez in the publicity materials, and it just went out on the socials, so it's non-negotiable. Look, I say, this episode is a Freaky Friday thing, right? I prepared for Gerard. My Gerard impression is dead on perfect. I don't know how to do George Lopez. Well, then I suggest you start preparing, Mr. Maloney. I'm sure you'll be fine. Everyone knows that nobody can nail an impression like Mitch Maloney. Just my luck. I was already feeling like garbage, and now my funny bone is absolutely killing me. An hour later, I'm on set in my TSA uniform, going through the blocking with the showrunner. Based on the way Lopez is keeping his distance, I guess he can tell I'm not happy about the casting switch. The caterer comes by with a tray of cheesy pleasers, which is probably supposed to be a joke about my famous bit. But I suddenly realize I'm starving and scarf down five or six of them without even thinking about it. It seems to help with the shaking, not so much with the sweating. The first AD comes over and tries to steer me back to the magical x-ray scanner. He calls for touch-ups from makeup and wardrobe to clean up the marinara. Something pops into my mind. The perfect punch-up line with catchphrase potential. I turn back to the folding chair with my name on it to grab my notebook, the comedian's ever-present companion. Except for right now, because it isn't there, where I left it, on top of my chair. What the hell did you do with my notebook, Lopez? He claims he doesn't know. Like hell you don't, I say. It's true what they say about you. You're a dirty joke thief. To which he responds, Excuse me, Cavron. I think you might be thinking of somebody else, and I think you better apologize right now if you... What gives, Tarverius? Mitch, uh, yes, that would be the ethnographic neutralization filter again. Off now, please. Right, so you're, 
you're finished with your George Lopez impression? Off uh, now. I'll take that as a yes. Yes, fine. Copy that, Mitch. Powering down the ENF. So, Lopez says I'm thinking about some other joke thief, but I'm not taking it. I tell him everyone knows it, Lopez. When you're on the wrong side of Joe Rogan, you're about as low as you can go. Anyway, it turns out the notebook has just fallen under my chair, so whoops. The showrunner decides that since Lopez just walked off for no reason, that we better move on to the bedroom set, and he asks the AD to see if Leslie is almost ready. They send me to wardrobe for the Merkin sheathing. When I take off my shirt, a look of terror comes over the dresser's face. She gets on the walkie-talkie to tell the makeup department that they're going to need extra dusting powder. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in a bed, topless, and shaking like a jackhammer. The makeup assistant is doing their best to mop up the perspiration, and the leading lady is off in the corner, being consoled by the intimacy coordinator. I hear her say, they can't make me do this, as if she's the one who should be upset. She turns back to me and I just glare into her eyeballs. What's wrong with you, she cries out. You know what you did, I bellow out, referring to the possibility that she had me fired back when I was a propsman. But she feigns ignorance, of course. I look over to see this show's propsman fiddling with a phony cigarette on the side table. Watch your back, I tell him, pointing at Leslie. Classic props diva. Finally, the AD manages to coax her back into the bed. But as soon as she settles in and takes a deep breath and the director calls action, the cheesy pleasers catch up with me. And then Leslie, and everyone else on the set, has such a big reaction. You'd think they'd never seen an A-lister flood a mattress with grumpy gravy before. The AD calls a 20-minute break for the talent, while the art department changes out the bedding. I do my best to clean myself up, but that doesn't stop Chris from waving his hand in front of his face, as if to say, Dear God, the rancid stench, as he approaches me. Mitch! Mitchy Mitch! I'm so glad I found you. How are you, um... Holding up, friend. I'll be fine, I tell him. It's just the first day jitters. Pretty serious case of the jitters, I guess. He glances over his shoulders to see who's listening. I think I might have just the thing for that. He pulls out a capsule and offers it to me. A yellow onyx. I look down at that little yellow capsule, and it's like it's calling out to me. In fact, I can actually hear it calling out to me on account of what turns out to be audio hallucinations. Not today, I scream at the pain pill. You damn pain pills. I won't give in to opiate addiction. It's too damn early in this story. But in spite of this, my right hand grabs the pill and tries to shove it down my gullet. Good thing I still have control of my left hand, which grabs my right wrist and I flail around for a full two minutes. Inside of me, I'm feeling ripped apart and in pain like you can't believe. On the outside, though, I'm doing a hilarious piece of physical comedy for the crew, which, despite the hallucinations, I can tell they're enjoying. Finally, the left hand shakes the pill to the ground, and I stomp on it angrily. 
Hey, 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 yells Chris, trying to restrain me. These things don't grow on trees, you know. He lifts up my foot to retrieve the pill. He diligently brushes it off and then swallows it. You want to feel like Maloney? Be my guest. I'll see you on set. If you can make it that long. A security guard approaches me. She looks exactly like Leslie Jones. Turns out that's because she is Leslie Jones. She says, please come with me, Mr. Maloney. Miss Harrigan needs to speak with you. Now I'm in a golf cart, buzzing toward the corporate office, and I'm fading in and out of consciousness, and Leslie Jones is weaving back and forth, which has got to be intentional. Why would she even do that? Doesn't she know it's going to make me... And there it goes. Now I'm spraying cheesy pleaser puree all over the side of the cart and leaving a chunky red trail across the HBO backlot. Now I'm in a sharp and shiny and entirely black office, covered in sweat, crusted in puke, and clutching my funny bone in agony. A studio rep is scrolling through her dunce phone while Leslie Jones guards the door. I fade out for a minute, and when I come to, there she is. Raven Harrigan, executive directress of HBO. I swear to Beelzebub, she's at least seven feet tall. She looks like a cross between Diamanda Galas and Tura Satana, but with the wardrobe accent and attitude of General Kala from Flash Gordon. You know, the one with the whip. Her face is a sharp triangle. Her eyelashes are like Venus flytraps, and her eyeballs are portals to hell. I feel like I'm glued to the chair. In reality, I'm just taped to it. Mr. Maloney, as you know, HBO was extremely excited about partnering with you on airport security. Unfortunately, the board of directors have decided. It's just a case of the jitters, I say weakly. It's not my fault that I can't always control my bowels. This isn't about your involuntary defecation on set, Mr. Maloney. It isn't? Oh, I get it. So what if I accuse Lopez of stealing my joke notebook? He's a well-known joke thief. I think you're thinking of somebody else, Mitch, but that's not the issue either. Then what the hell is it? Was it the damn seven-year-old that's playing my daughter? You have to admit, she's annoying as hell with the dimples and the freckles and that lateral lisp. It was about time somebody told her so. The problem is Wade Dinklington, Mitch. The Me the North series of hijinks videos have come to the attention of the board of directors. But those videos are satirical in nature, I insist. I may not remember making those videos, but I'm sure I can rely on good old-fashioned plausible ironic deniability. It's worked pretty good so far. Look, Mitch, I get it. I think they're hilarious. It's just that... They also seem to be sincerely advocating for a violent revolution against corporate elites, and well, this is HBO after all. The board of directors will not accommodate threats. Also, they're not comfortable with the fact that you seem to be making light of opiate addiction, which is, of course, a very real and consequential... It's just jitters! I scream out, and suddenly I can feel the fog and the agony of withdrawal wash away. I know plenty of FCs who had their shows canceled, some of them after just a handful of episodes, and many others who shot pilots that never got picked up. But as far as I know, 
I'm the first one to lose my show halfway through the first day of shooting. I must never speak of this again, I think, as I sign the non-disclosure agreement, which I have to do to get the contractual payout. And I never will talk about airport security, not publicly anyway, until the publication of this very book. For only the second time in my life, I'd been canned. I was back at the bottom of the rock pit, or however it goes. Don't ask me, I'm barely conscious. All I know is that I need to get out of Lipstick City, away from the drugs and the grudges and the sleaze. I need to go far away and deal with this Yahoo alter ego business once and for all to achieve my true potential. It's time for a one-man show. This audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, The Mitch Maloney Story, was made possible by the Seventh Reformed Church of Latter-day Witnesses, The Bleepers. <laughs>